0: From baseball's top personalities The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters Bob Casas is here on A's Cast Live To the A's legendary players Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ Mark McGuire is with us here You never know what stories you're going to hear We used to about out to lunch and run with our shirts off <laughs> <laughs>
1: You would say This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend
0: time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered and we're going to be going over each division and today we're going to be doing the American League East former big league pitcher and now TV broadcaster Ben McDonald from Orioles TV will be here Shy Davidi from Toronto Sportsnet will join us to talk Blue Jays Julian McWilliams our old Buddy will be here from the Boston Globe to talk about the Red Sox. Randy Miller, Yankees writer for New Jersey Advanced Media. will stop by. And then Rich Hollenberg, Rays broadcaster, will talk about the Tampa Bay Rays from Bally Sports. But we'll start with the big right-hander. Remember the star out of LSU? He's such a good guy. Here is Ben McDonald. Ben, how are you? Good, how are you? Great to have you on the program again. Before you came on, we were just talking about reminiscing the – the old ESPN days when really college baseball was one of their first franchises that they had showing the College World Series. And I'm trying to explain to our audience, I mean, obviously your career in the big leagues, but like you were like one of the first ESPN slash college baseball stars. What was that like back in the day?
2: Well, you know, the college game has changed so much. You know, back when I was playing in the late 80s at LSU, you know, you were lucky to maybe have one or two games during the regular season on TV. But it was started, you could see the growth that it had began. Of course, when you got to the College World Series, everybody was tuning in because there wasn't much college baseball to go around. You get to Omaha and obviously projected to be the first pick in the country that year. There was a lot of excitement and all that kind of stuff. You know, so it was really cool back then, but it's really cool today to see the growth. And I would tell your listeners, I mean, The college game is where it's at. And and, and you know this. I mean, you saw the numbers like I did last year. I mean, over 50% of the Major League Baseball rosters last year opening day, over 50% came from college programs. That's how important the college programs are now. We're starting to see the big-time talent. You know, back in years past, you wouldn't see a Dylan Cruz or a Jacob Berry, who's at LSU right now, could be the first pick in the country. Those kind of kids would always sign pro contracts. But now we're starting to see more of our superstars out of high school, if you will, starting to kind of test the waters in the college game a little bit now. So it's exciting. The college game's a great game. It continues to grow in leaps and bounds, and it's supporting the big leagues in a huge way right now.
0: Yeah, we've gone over it with multiple people about how when you start looking at technology – and all the different things that college baseball was doing before big league and minor league baseball. They were at the forefront of technology, about health. You have a lot of these big-time universities that are connected with their, their school's hospitals that are working on how to prevent Tommy John, how to prevent shoulder injuries. It, it really is amazing how college baseball was so far ahead of even major league baseball when he started about using things like TrackMan and Rap Soto and all these different high tech cameras. Normally, it filters down from the big leagues or the NFL or the NBA. But in this circumstance, when it comes to baseball, it filtered up.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Because I can remember, you know, talking analytics in the college game, like five or six, even seven years ago, and I'm going, "What, what are these guys talking about?" But they were kind of ahead of the curve. Some, or some teams were a little bit ahead of others when it came to that. And you're right, the track man has been a long, been around a long time and other things have as well, you know. And so it's interesting to see how the game continues to evolve. And the college game to me is just a, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful game. And it's a game that, you know, with Major League Baseball, we're during the lockout. I think more MLB fans had a chance to tune in just for a little bit to kind of see what it's all about, which is really cool, you know. And so I'm proud of the college game. I'm proud of where it's going. And look, it, it's a neat deal now with the NIL and, You see more of these kids starting to come to college in some ways. Because if you look at it, I mean, look, and I talk about the SEC because I've been on the SEC a lot. I mean, LSU, every night there's 11,000 fans. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. I mean, it's 11,000 fans on the weekends in there to watch college games. And you can't get that in rookie ball, obviously, anywhere, or really anywhere in the minor leagues you can't get that. So a lot of these big-time players, or wanting that college experience in some ways to be able to, maybe instead of starting off at rookie ball after you get drafted after your third year, maybe you jump to high A and you begin your, begin your professional career at high A ball.
0: Well, man, you start talking about pressure. I mean, you can win the national title in football like Eddie O and uh, be gone in a couple of years. So, uh, Ogeron, yeah. was, he was on top of the world. It's Goo Tigers and Joe Burrow. And a couple of years later, he's getting his walking papers. Yeah. Go Tigers. That's right. Well, you know, look,
2: and, and look when they're paying the salaries that they're paying now, as you know, in college football, and you got the expectations like you do at some schools in the SEC in football, which is, you know, it's proven itself to be the number one football conference obviously in the country for a long time. And baseball is there now in the SEC. And even these college coaches in baseball now are making a million and a half, $2 million a year to coach college baseball. And the expectations are high. And if you don't win, You know, you're going to get let go. That's the bottom line. All
0: right, before we start getting into the Orioles, I want you to put your free agent hat on. If you were a free agent right now, and boy, the clock is ticking, and every day, man, you're that much closer to April 7th and April 8th, what would it be like for you as a free agent looking for a team right now?
2: Well, I think it's your specific need, you know, and what do you bring and what's your value and I think it depends on a lot of these guys that are free agents right now have made a little bit of money in their career. And I know as you get older as a professional player, you know, when you first break into the league, it's all about surviving, right? You want to you want to provide for your family. You want to stick around and make a little bit of money if you can and do this for as long as you can. But then the goals change. And when you become a free agent, typically most of these guys have at least six years of the big league. So they've made a little bit of money. So now you start looking at, okay, where can I go to possibly put a ring on my finger one day? What's well, going to be the best case for me to be able to go get into the playoffs now? Now I know we got the expanded format; we're going to have 12 teams. That's obviously going to bring some extra teams into the playoff fold. But I think you start looking at okay, where can I go to get into the playoffs that has a real shot of putting a ring on my finger? And I think that's what a lot of players are t- starting to decide right now: is who gives me the best shot to win a World Series.
0: You know, when I look at the Baltimore Orioles and I think about some of the greats that you played with and I think about, you know, what they always called the Oriole way and how strong the Orioles were when I was a kid, knowing that their history, Earl Weaver and that gang and World Series titles and there was legendary battles, 60s and 70s that the A's and the Orioles had – been before we were born and now I look at the Orioles and okay you know Trey Mancini's been on this program good guy I can look at Mullins I can look at Odor I can look at some of the Nate John Means but you know for the most part I mean what's it like very proud organization it's a great baseball city but it's just been years since they were good yeah,
2: no doubt. And look, it is very, you know, calling the games that I call in Baltimore the last five or six years, it has been difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, you go back and look, Orioles lost 110 games last year. They lost 108 in 19 and they lost 115 games in 18. And so it's difficult to watch sometimes, but I think at some point you got to be able to just kind of trust the process. And Mike Elias, the new GM came in four years ago and he said, look, I've got to build it from the ground floor up. That's the only way we're going to be able to compete in the AL East. And so you're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel while it's frustrating to watch. And look, Baltimore, as you know, has some of the greatest baseball fans in the entire country. There's no doubt about that. And so when you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you start talking about Adley Rutschman, who we're going to see this year, the number one prospect in all of baseball. You start talking about Grayson Rodriguez and the strength of the Orioles, of course, is in their minor leagues right now. And that they have a, on what publication you look at, they're ranked one, two, or three in the minor league. So, Mike Elias has been able to do that. He's been able to build a solid footing in the minor leagues with some really, really solid prospects coming up. And I mentioned DL Hall and Stowers and Heston Kerstad, the number two pick by the Orioles a couple of years ago, has been down with card. out That's what he's expected to, you know, be a big part, have his first full year in the minor league this year. So, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I'm not telling you anything when I tell you this. The AL East on a rebuild is different than any other division that's out there because when you're dealing every day with the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, it's very difficult. And so you can't be kind of good to compete in the AL East. you got to be really good to compete in the AL East. The question for the Orioles right now is probably not going to win a bunch of games this year either, although we're going to see some of these top talents begin to emerge at the big league level. The question is will the Orioles probably next offseason season? really get in that free agent market and try to get on top and to be able to compete day in and day out with the big boys in the ALE.
0: And the division, what's so interesting about it, it's really kind of uh, kind of all over the board because the Red Sox under Heim Bloom don't want to be like big spenders like they used to be. The, Red so- the Yankees have wanted to be under the luxury tax, Toronto has made a bunch of moves and they want to spend money and then the Rays are going to try and be efficient with every single dollar they can possibly be it really is a division of uh, teams doing it a lot of different ways but still getting it done and would you say maybe the team to beat right now is the Toronto Blue Jays in the division
2: well yeah you could make it certainly I mean that young offense they have Guerrero and Bouchette and others that, that 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 did so well. And of course, you know, they lose Simeon, but and that was a big loss, obviously. But still the core of those young players are there in that offense. You know, and you had Kevin Gausman on the pitching side after you lose Robbie Ray. And so they added some pieces. But yeah, you talk about a young core, a young nucleus that's gonna be there for a while. I think you gotta lean on the Blue Jays and where they're at and of course they just missed the playoffs last year but that offense last year I'm telling you it was a just a gauntlet to go through to see those guys come to play but you can make the same case I mean the Yankees were off offensively last year they should have been better than what they were offensively you know last year I expect they're going to rebound this year you know Boston has a young nucleus of some players too so it's a very offensive league in the AL East but you know I think your point to the Tampa Bay Rays I think That's the organization out there that every other big league team is trying to figure out how do they keep doing it with a low payroll and how they keep producing. And yet it seems like they're in the hunt every year. They do a wonderful job with the Rays, you know. And so it's interesting to me to see how they do it with a low budget, kind of a low market kind of team, small market, if you will. But yet they seem to be in the mix. But they're drafting their evaluation of players, and then when you get them in your organization to be able to develop them. And right now, they're just whooping everybody when it comes to those couple of categories.
0: You know, it's funny, though, some of the rule changes, especially how many times you can bring a guy up and send him back down only five times now. People go, oh, it's going to hurt the Rays. But what's so fascinating, Ben, is like no matter what the rules are, the Rays find a way.
2: Yeah, and you talk about adapting, right? I mean, they were one of the first teams some years ago that dug deep into the analytics, and they kind of figured it out on the pitching side. Remember, they were one of the first ones that kind of started the opener. And then if you go back five or six years ago, I think they were one of the first teams that really got crazy with the shifts, you know, and the yeah. defensive shifts. and the, almost They were kind of in the forefront of all that stuff, so they kind of had it figured out in some ways quicker than most MLB teams. So I think you're right. I think they do a great job of staying ahead of the curve, if you will. And I don't think these new rule changes are going to affect them that much. They just kind of have it figured out right now.
0: How do you like the new rule changes? Anyone that stands out to you, you like or don't like?
2: No, I mean – I know some of the ones are going to be implemented potentially next year. I'm not a fan of the automated strike zone, the the computer back there. You know, I just don't, I don't know how that's going. To, I like to see an umpire back there punching people out. You know, on strike three. <laughs> I, that's just me. You know, I don't want to see. I don't know what a robot's going to do back there. Is a green light going to flash up when you strike out? Like, I don't know how this is going to work. But they're going to try it at, at the minor league levels, the bigger bases. You know, I'm not a bigger fan. I do like a bigger base at first base because anytime we can you know, get away from collisions over at first base to keep our stars on the field. I like that, but I don't know about making the bases bigger at second and third. I mean, I don't want to change the game. I always go back to football. Football field's been 100 yards forever. The The, the NBA basketball goal's been 10-foot high forever. They're not changing that. So why do we need bigger bases to create more offense? You know, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with all that. I do like some of the – I think the pitch clock's pretty cool. I think if we can – now, look, if we shave five minutes off of a game, who cares? Like, I don't care. I'm already there anyway. Like, I don't care if you shave five minutes off, but now if you're really talking about shaving 20 minutes off of a game, okay, I'm in favor of that, you know? And I do kind of like the idea of potentially next year of getting away with the shift. If the idea is to create more offense, there's no doubt in my mind, we'll create more action and more offense by getting away from the shift Cause it's tough for these big left-handed pull hitters, you know, and I know the people would say, well, they got to learn to hit. Well, yeah, they they do need to drop a bunt down every now and then be able to use the opposite field. I get all that. But while we're waiting for that to happen, I kind of like the idea of all the infielders being on the dirt like it used to be. And that's going to create a little more action to our game because that's what we're trying to do is create a little more action than than obviously the the three true outcomes of the game, which we see a lot the last couple
0: of years. I always like to ask ex-pitchers this. If you were on the mound and you got a shift behind you, Are you going to pitch to what's best for the shift, or are you just going to pitch what's best for you to get the guy out?
2: Well, that's a great question. I mean, you know, going back years when I was playing, you know, Cal Ripley would be in a really different spot at shortstop. So I'd throw a ball, and he'd go by me. I'd go, my God, that's the base hit on the ground. And there he is standing right in the (laughs) perfect spot, throwing the guy out by a half step. But I'd always ask him, how the hell were you over there? Why would you be there? He said, you just keep hitting your spots, and I'm going to be in the right spot. I went, oh, okay, so you're, you're yeah, you're really – and you know the story, about he called pitches for me, and that's one yeah. different time. But he called every pitch I ever threw uh, back in 92 one year, which is a really cool story in itself. But that's when we used to pitch to where the defenses were and try to make a guy do that. It doesn't feel like that's what's going on now. And, and in my time, a guy threw 95, guys would not get on the pool side, and maybe they'd be the opposite side a little bit more. It just feels like now when I watch a game and I do a game, it just feels like it doesn't matter who's pitching – lefty or righty throwing 100 or throwing 90 the shift is the same to the same guy every time so I don't know if there's any reason or rhyme other than that's what the charts show us where he's going to hit the ball but I feel like the pitchers aren't really paying attention today they're just kind of doing their thing and trying to get guys out and the defense is where they're supposed to be on a bunch of data that we have and they're getting guys out and it seems to be
3: working
0: well, you know the thing about Cal, he, you know people talk about. Well, he's tall, and maybe he wasn't the fastest guy. But as you said, a Cal Ripken was always in the right spot, and to do that for that many years, it's crazy what like an encyclopedia of a brain that guy had.
2: Yeah, I mean, always you know Cal was a big guy. As you mentioned, he played the game of shortstop before there were big shortstop, Nearly six foot five. He played it at two hundred and thirty pounds here in the year, and just a a monster on the field, like he was obviously wired differently at the things that he accomplished, you know. and But he also knew the tendencies of every hitter and what they like to do with a runner in scoring position, how they actually approach the pitcher with nobody on base. If it was a blowout game versus a tight game, what their approach was. And he was so smart. And that's why he came to me and Chris Hoyles early in our career and said, you guys don't have a clue of what you're doing. I was like, no, Mr. Riffin, I don't have a clue of what I'm doing. My college coach called every game, every pitch I ever threw in college I didn't learn how to set up guys. I didn't know any of that stuff because I was in the big league at 21 and didn't have a clue. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start calling every one of your pitches you throw. And it stays between us three. It stays between me, you, and Chris Hoyles. If it ever gets to the pitching coach or the manager, I am done. And you know what? That was my learning curve at the big, big level. And after every game, me and him and Chris Hoyles would sit down over a six-pack of beer, and we would talk about why we pitched this guy this way and this search situation and why we pitched him a little bit differently in a different situation you know and so that's how I learned to pitch at the big league level and then of course Rick Sutcliffe came along the following year and really helped my maturing process but Cal, Cal was such a student of the game he doesn't get enough credit for how smart he was as a ball player because he was the smartest guy I ever
0: played with. Well we know Cal had a basketball court at his house I'm sure you guys played against each other there's no way Cal could hang with you right?
2: Well, no, I mean I was a little bit better basketball player than him, but I tell you what, me and him got. Child was as competitive as anybody was on the basketball court, and that's how we got our conditioning in. We'd go into Baltimore, and I would pitch bullpens for a couple of weeks, but our conditioning was not going out and running was up and down the basketball court. So we got into some pretty heated battles, and I'm gonna tell you, Junior was a hell of an athlete. You know, as you know, you know, could have played a uh, could have been a pitcher at the MLB level. You know, I mean, I thought he was that good. Some teams wanted him to be a pitcher when he was drafted out of high school. And he was a heck of a basketball player too. So it was fun to kind of buff elbows with him a little bit and run up down the basketball court. A lot of fun.
0: Hey, it's always great to have you on the program. It's good to hear your voice. Be well and let's talk soon once the season gets rolling. Look forward to it. Appreciate you having me on. Take care. Take care. Ben McDonald, who was good big big league pitcher, college star at LSU. Ben is good people. We love having him on the program. But the hottest team maybe this offseason is the Toronto Blue Jays. Here is Shai Davidi. Shai, I'm going to ask you, all the way in Canada, why would you sign a seven-year deal with the Rockies unless that's the only, the biggest deal you got?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now, the way that they've constructed and certainly the way that they've operated in the past few years, you wouldn't do that, you know, and, I remember when the Blue Jays acquired Troy Tulowitzki in 2015 and, you know, how staggered he was by that deal after being told that, you know, he wasn't going to be traded. And, you know, similar story for Nolan Arenado a couple of years later. Uh, He would certainly raise some eyebrows, but at a certain point in time, if a contract's right, a contract's right. And, you know, you put your faith in uh, a new front office there and, and hope that you're going to get a different ending. That's the best I can think of.
0: Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, I understand you're going to put up offensive numbers, but, man, I mean, it's going to be a, long, a lot of bad weather, a lot of long nights, and uh, in that division where, you know, you're you're not better than the Dodgers, you're not better than the Giants, you're not better than the Padres, good luck to you. Let's talk about that big trade. Another A's third baseman heading to the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's first get the reaction from Canada how how's it going down with jays fans i gotta think they're ecstatic about this deal
1: oh yeah they're they're totally stoked and look you know the the only thing that would make this uh the only thing that could make this more perfect for the jays was if matt chapman hit left-handed you know (laughs) otherwise he fits them in every way imaginable right they needed a a a dynamic defender at third base he's going to make a dramatic difference for them there you know, he's probably going to help Bo Bichette the way he helped Marcus Simeon uh, back in the day. You know, offensively, you know, the Blue Jays could use his on-base and walk scales. The power is definitely going to play up in the American League East. Uh, you know, we saw that with Josh Donaldson when he came over. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a similar jump in power. Uh, as some of those balls that die on the track in, in Oakland and some of the other ALS parks fly over the American League East fences. So, uh, you know, this should be a, a really, really good fit for the Blue Jays in a number of ways, uh, and he's going to be in a lineup that is true, is very, very right-handed heavy, uh, but is stacked with some of the best offensive players in the game, uh, and it's going to be a, a pretty fun group to watch hit.
0: I, I said this earlier in the show before you came on, and I'm just thinking about the ballpark, the Rogers Center, friend, uh, a hitter-friendly ballpark. In division, every ballpark for the most part, hitter-friendly other than Tampa. And I'm looking at your lineup, and you just start thinking about Guerrero, Hernandez, Springer, Gurriel, uh, Chapman, on and on. I'm thinking... I gotta think this Blue Jay team will set the record for most home runs ever ever hit in a season because uh, that recently was set by the twins at 307. I just gotta think they blow past that wouldn't you agree?
1: I mean you know they had a pretty good group last year too but I mean they only got half a year out of Springer because of injuries last year uh, although Marcus Simeon did come in and you know establish a single season record for home runs by a, a second baseman. Uh, I think they're going to be a dynamic group in a lot of ways. And, you know, this is a team that's obviously built to bang. You've got to in, in that division. Uh, and, you know, I still think that we may see some more tinkering. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see a, a big giant move. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I still think they're going to get a left-handed hitter in some way, shape, or form. That's going to add another element to this club uh, and, and make it a little, give it a little bit more flexibility and versatility. Um they're, they're going to be scary for a lot of pitchers, and they're going to, they're going to be fun to watch because uh, it, it, the ball's going to fly, and uh, I don't know if they're going to hit 300 home runs, but uh, you know I think it's going to be a, a pretty substantial number.
0: All right, so when I start thinking about you're going to give up this for Matt Chapman, obviously he's got to be a player. You're thinking about long-term. Uh, Springer just signed the big deal. The pitching staff is making some good loot. Uh, you're going to have to pay Guerrero. You're going to have to pay Bichette. Tell me about Rogers Cable. I heard, I heard they're doing really well financially. Uh, what are the expectation money-wise for the Blue Jays' long-term in spending?
1: Well, I mean, we've seen them, uh, you know, they, they've given out four contracts of 100000000 million-plus in franchise history, uh, and three of them have come over the past, uh, you know, 14 months. You know, so that tells you sort of the direction that the, they're trending in. You know, they're, they understand they're in the American League East uh, and that you've got to spend to, to compete in that division. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a big market. You know, the Blue Jays are obviously based in Toronto, and it's a local, and they've got that local piece. But, you know, in some ways they have uh, a following across all of Canada. And so that's, uh, that's all their market, and that's a – uh, you know, one of the biggest markets in baseball when you consider the entire country. So they certainly have uh, the base to continue. Are they going to be a luxury tax uh, team? You know, we haven't seen that yet. And I don't, I think the currency differentiation might prevent that from happening. But I think they're going to be, we're going to see them be consistently in the top 10 uh, and perhaps pushing into the top seven, top six in the years to
0: come. When Kikuchi is your fifth starter, wow. Now I know all five guys don't start the entire season, but going into the season, just talk about the starting rotation because, boy, it looks strong.
1: Yeah, and that's really a strength that this team hasn't had in a while, right? You think back to 2016, and they had uh, an absolutely dominant rotation that year. Uh, And they essentially, I think they use only six or maybe seven starters all year. And a couple of them were just for uh, doubleheaders or uh, rainouts. And so that's how deep they were. And this group has a chance to be better than that. You know, uh, at the front end, you've got Jose Barrios, uh, who came in last year and, and was completely to the billing. Uh, you know, Robbie Ray won a Cy Young, and he left via free agency, but was replaced by Kevin Gosman, uh, who is essentially right-handed Robbie Ray uh, instead of a slider, he's throwing a split, and he's got a chance to be really dynamic for them. You know, uh, Hyunjin Ryu uh, is going to continue to be in the middle of the rotation at this point; he doesn't have to be at the front. And you know, that's a, one of the craftier pitchers in baseball. Uh, Alec Manoa is uh, a, a, a sophomore who had a Tremendous, tremendous rookie season is only going to continue to grow from there, you would think. Uh, And then Kikuchi has a chance to be more than a five. You know, we've seen the Blue Jays help Robbie Ray resuscitate his career, Steven Matz resuscitate his career. And I think you can look at a lot of the usage with Kikuchi and imagine that uh, or envision ways to maybe optimize his mix a little bit more. You know, more, more forcing fastball, less cutter, a little bit more with the splitter and you might be able to get us some better results. So, you know, the Blue Jays had some success, and if they can transform Kikuchi, even into, if they they get uh, 20-to-1 Stephen Matz out of them, that's great, but there's, uh, you know, the potential for even higher upside there. So, uh, yeah, the the rotation is going to be a strength right now. Clearly the best in the American League East, maybe the best in the American League, or at least in that conversation. Uh, And that's really got a chance to be the foundation of this team.
0: Now, obviously, our fan base is hurting today. It's been a rough one with Bassett leaving, Matt Olson leaving, now Chapman. Tell me about the four players we're getting back from the Blue Jays. Do you got some good news for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's a very Oakland A's type of package, right? You know, they they've got uh, they they do a pretty good job of identifying uh, players that they like and who fit what they want 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 to do and the way they want to play. You know Kevin Smith is a a really interesting infielder. He debuted last season. Uh, You know he's got some power, has the ability to manipulate the bat a little bit. Pretty good defender. He's got can play third, can play shortstop, and you know he's uh, you know he was blocked a little bit. And all the guys that they traded uh, in this deal were sort of blocked in Toronto. And I think that's why this package, you know, uh, was you know in that sense a bit comfortable for the Blue Jays because each one of those guys was going to have a, a bit of a tougher time trying to get to the big league roster um you know Gunnar Hoagland is a first round pick from last year you know he was pushing his way to the top 10 before he had Tommy John he's still working his way back from that but you know the, I've heard projections of him as you know uh, maybe a three if not a four or five type of starter so you know he's got a chance to be a good one once he gets healthy you know Zach Logue is a uh, a left-handed starter who's had nice success. He doesn't have big stuff, but uses his repertoire really well. Uh, and he's, he's more of a, you know, he's sort of a, a pitcher whose profile really fits the American league West and and those big ballparks there. Uh, a guy who gets some fly balls, but makes some, uh, make hitters miss hit balls oftentimes. And, uh, you know, Kirby Snead is, a uh, an interesting left-handed reliever. He was uh, up and down a little bit last season. Um, and he's uh, got a chance to be a contributor out of the pen.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you you hope you you get two out of the three really help you at the big league level because, you know, the A's end up getting nothing in the Josh Donaldson deal, and and that was really rough. It set the franchise back a little bit. I, I think there's no question about it. I mean, you look at the Toronto Blue Jays now, Going forward in 2022 and you look at, you know, what the Rays do year in, year out, uh, you're always going to be battling Yankees and Red Sox. I mean, the Orioles stink and they're going to stink again. Where do you put the Jays in the American league East right now?
1: I mean, I, I think they're pretty close to the Rays. They're neck and neck with the Rays in some ways, and maybe even have surpassed the Rays a little bit, you know, uh, uh the Rays are kind of, or have been in recent years, at least. You know, the Blue Jays' kryptonite. Uh, you know, they play a really tight game oftentimes, and you know, they seem to capitalize on any little thing that goes wrong for the Blue Jays in the games that they play. Uh, but you know, I think one thing that Chapman does is Chapman really tightens up that infield for the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, they set up playing some guys out of position at third base now, uh, the way they did last year with Vigio and. You know, Santiago Espinal transition there, did a nice job, but it's not his natural position. Um, you know, those guys can play second base, which is more their, more a natural spot for them. So presumably they'll be better defensively. Chapman help, helps out with Beauchat. Uh You know, the, the Blue Jays can tighten up their bullpen. Uh, and just, you know, that was a real sore spot for them last year. They gave away easily 10 to 15 games there that were very winnable. Uh, and if they win even half of them, they're right there with the Rays. Uh, you know, I think that the Blue Jays are on that same level already. So um, they've got a lot to look forward to this year, and uh, assuming everything you know goes even reasonably to plan, they've got they've got some uh, some built-in insurances in case uh, some things do go awry. But you know, if uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to progress and looks like he will, Bo Bichette takes another step and looks like he will. You get uh, anything uh, close to a healthy season from George Springer, uh, you know. Chapman is able to round out into form. I mean, this has got a chance to be a pretty scary ball club.
0: One of the early interesting notes about going to play the Blue Jays in Toronto and the A's, their first road trip, uh, start of the season. We're going to see you there in Toronto is from what I've heard, if you are not vaccinated, you can't enter the country, you can't play against the Toronto Blue Jays, how do you think baseball is going to handle this?
1: Well, this, it shouldn't be a surprise for anyone in baseball because you know the Canadian government uh, lifted an exemption that had been in place that allowed uh, professional and amateur athletes who were unvaccinated to have Uh, an exemption to enter the country. That also covered some musicians and and entertainers as well. Uh, That was removed. Uh, And so, you know, Major League Baseball, as part of the collective bargaining agreement discussions, agreed with the players that anyone who's unvaccinated is placed on the restricted list and uh, loses service time and pay. And those players who are unvaccinated have to make a uh, a decision about whether they want to get the shot or not. We've seen already Xander Bogarts of the Red Sox, who had been holding out. He got himself vaccinated. A few of the other players there are talking about it. We'll see what happens with the Yankees because they've got complications with New York, with the rules of New York State as well. So, you know, that, that could be even more complicated uh, than just the Blue Jays situation. But this is something that the Blue Jays have had to factor into their player acquisitions to this point uh, throughout the off season. And uh, it's a reality of life that applies to, you know, not just Major League Baseball players, but NHL players have had to deal with it. And, you know, my understanding is that all but one player in the NHL at this point is fully vaccinated. So that eliminates any issues on that front. And uh, some NBA teams have had that concern, too. Kyrie Irving and the New Jersey Nets are, uh, are a really interesting case because it's possible that the Nets could end up playing the Raptors in the first round of the playoffs so, um, you know, it's not unique to Major League Baseball by any extent. And, you know, they're just going to have to abide by the rules of the land.
0: Yeah, and, and some people have a difference of opinion and also certain states here in the United States of what, what vaccinated is. Is it one shot? Is it two shots? Is it two shots with a booster? So if, I, if, if I'm on a team coming to play, play the Toronto Blue Jays, What consists in Canada, how many shots do I have to have for you to say, yes, you can come in and play?
1: Uh, At this point, the health requirements uh, are two shots to be considered fully boosted, you know, that could be, uh, or fully vaccinated, excuse me, it could be, uh, that could be updated to include a booster at some point, uh, but at this point, it hasn't. So, uh, if if you've got two shots, then you're going to be able to enter the country, although, you know, we're seeing some teams suggesting to their players who haven't received the booster yet to take the booster. Uh, there's some, uh, I believe there's some, uh, Ken Rosenthal reported that there are some rules uh, around uh, coaching staffs in Major League Baseball that requires everyone there to get boosted uh, as well. So, uh, certainly uh, a lot of teams uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of different levels of uh, both sport and government are still figuring out how to best navigate this.
0: Yeah, and you think about a team, let's just say a team has X amount of guys that can't play in Canada, so you're going to be able to bring guys up. Has it been decided how that will work, and obviously coming up here, uh, in baseball, it's going to matter how many times you can bring a guy up and down during a season. H- have there been talks about what a team can do if they have to leave players at home or on the road and they can't bring them into Canada?
1: Well, I mean, the players uh, who are unvaccinated, as I mentioned, are on the restricted list. So, you know, they have to deal with the rules in and around that. You know, it's no, they, they're not going to be treated as if they're on the COVID-19 IL. Uh, which uh, was the, you know, what obviously a lot of teams had to use last year uh, in and around infections. So, uh, you know, this is one of those situations where, you know, if you aren't vaccinated, you are quite frankly hurting your team. And, you know, we can argue about whether that's right or that's wrong. But, uh, you know, there are there are reasons that teams are urging their players to get vaccinated. It's not only to abide by the laws. It's just also, you know, to help avoid uh, serious infections on their teams, to try and protect uh, staff around the clubs uh, as, well as, uh, as well as the players themselves and to try and limit the, the time that's spent on the, the list with an injury but, uh, or uh, with an infection, excuse me. Uh, but quite clearly, if you are going to be adamant about being unvaccinated, it is going to put your team at a disadvantage and it's going to hurt them.
0: Well, I got to tell you, the American League East is going to be fascinating to watch this year. No question. So keep your phone on. We're going to be calling because we're your games are going to be starting out early here and we're going to be watching them. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it should be a super interesting year in a lot of ways. And uh, it's going to be fun to have Josh Donaldson back in the division, too. I think there's going to be a lot of drama. Uh, and a lot of great theater in New York with uh, you know that combination of personalities there. and uh, definitely uh, uh, the people in Toronto are definitely excited about uh, what Liza had for the
0: Blue Jays. Good stuff, let's talk soon. All right, take care. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, everybody's loving the Jays, but look out. Trevor Story is now with the Boston Red Sox. Here is Julian McWilliams, used to cover the A's, now covers the Bo Sox for the Boston Globe. All the way from Florida. First of all, how are you and uh, how's life as a new father?
4: Uh, Sleep deprived. You guys warned me about that, but, you know, I'm. Uh, <laughs> we're going through it now. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, though. It's great, though. It's starting to see the personality and, and uh, she starts to know who you are. So you're getting a little something back. It's not like she's just like a zombie anymore.
0: yeah how much uh getting away for for, from diapers for a while
4: oh it's it's huge man i was on leave uh for about eight weeks and then um the lockout happened so i had another two because my wife was back at work so i was i was like yeah i probably need to get down to fort myers so they they can hurry this thing up but you know that would be nice so um yeah, so they, uh, so but it's 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 good though, man. It's just uh, it tests your patience, but uh, you know I'm I'm all I'm all I'm all in on it. And my me and my wife are having a good time, so that's fun.
0: Yeah, it, it it's a time in your life as a parent and as a man to where you you really experience unconditional love, and you now know how your parents felt about you. Where this, 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 this child that you brought into the world—it's, you know, it, a lot of it is you. And now that uh, you have a new, just—it's something different about you. I mean, my kids are now sixteen, and we're starting to look at colleges. And I think back when they were babies, and it just—it changes your world forever because now you have a, a whole different responsibility. It's the greatest thing ever in your life. But then we have to get back to baseball and. When Trevor story was, Trevor's story signs with the Red Sox. I went, huh? That's interesting. And then I hear about the whole Xander Bogarts and his contract and an opt out. I went, ah, this deal could get very interesting and give the Red Sox some insurance. Talk about how you're reading the tea leaves here.
4: Yeah, there's there's no way. I mean, barring like a major catastrophic injury that Xander Bogarts uh, opts in. Uh, to next year's contract i mean you're looking at a guy who um you know has been one of the premier shortstops and one of the premier players
3: uh if not arguably the
4: best you know hitting shortstop in the league since um he signed the extension in 2019 i believe he signed it in oakland when i was still in oakland uh they had the press conference out there at the beginning of the season in april so um he's a boris client um and you as we know boris when he smells blood he he goes for it. And I think he's going to try to get, you know, Xander as much money as he can. And I think, you know, Xander's been a a, a really big guy on saying, I'm just, you know, a team player and I, I don't, I don't care about the money. I remember he signed, he signed the extension. He said, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to have to go through the stress of free agency. Well, now that he's seeing everybody else around him that plays his position, get the type of money that they're getting. I think he's saying, huh, you know, I need to go and do do what's best for me. Uh, be it with the Red Sox or be it with anywhere else. I think um, I don't think he has that attachment um, so much. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say to the organization, but uh, you know, he wants to get his money, and and I think that's and rightfully so. Um, you look at somebody like Trevor Story. Uh, this is the guy that can play shortstop. He can play second base. Um, you can make the argument that Xander is the is is the Third, you know, best shortstop behind him and uh, behind Trevor Story and Kike Hernandez, but um, it's Xander's team. So then it's, it's sort of like that, that that Jeter thing, right? They're not going to move him off shortstop because um, that's that's been his position. He's sort of built this organization to be what it's been in, in the in the 2000s. So um, you're looking at a person that has a lot of, will have a lot of options at the end of the season. I remember JD Martinez said yesterday. Xander's is going to be rich after uh, Carlos Correa signed his deal the day before yesterday. Um, so, and I think you know that, that that's, and rightfully so, he's going to go somewhere. If, if it's uh, if it's with the Red Sox extension, great. If it's somewhere else, he's going to get his money, and rightfully so.
0: So, when you look at Hein Bloom, and he has not been one to make big splashes. Do you look at this Trevor Trevor Story deal as a big as a big splash? Uh, h- how do you see the guy from Colorado coming in and switching to second base?
4: I assume that it was going to be, you know, one of the short-term deals, right? I think um, if you look at it like a, sort of the Correa thing, I thought it would be something like a, maybe a, you know, a one-year deal, but then he'll go back on the market. But if you keep in mind, Trevor Story had that, that elbow injury last year, so it, it, it made his you know, market a little bit um, different, I guess. And he wants, a, he wants that security, if anything. Um, I think it is a big splash look this is the most money they've given which is crazy to think this is the most money they've given um, to a player since David Price and he got that 217 million dollar contract I believe um, back in 2015 or 16 my my memory fades me right now but um, this is the largest contract they've given and the fact that he got six years um, is also something that's interesting Uh, you know he'll be what 35 years old by the time this contract's up so him shifting the second, I saw that he played a little bit of second base. He played a lot of bit a lot of second base in Double in So I don't think it will be anything that's new to him. Um, obviously, I think he's the better shortstop, but also you got to keep in mind the injury that he had with his elbow last year, and you know, being able to fill in at second base probably gives him a little bit more, um, you know, time. If anything, if Xander opts out, they can shift him over, uh, shift him over to shortstop. So. Uh, I think I think this I think he'll adjust fine to that to that position because you know he's an athlete. I mean, you look at his stat cast numbers; um, he's one of the better athletes in in the game, and he's one of the fastest athletes in the game. So uh, I don't think there'll be that much of a adjustment. In fact, I think it'll be it'll be, it will possibly be a good fit for him, just being able to have that you know being able to settle in the second base considering he had an elbow injury.
0: You know, leaving Coors Field and a mile high up, you might worry about offensive numbers if he was coming to a place like let's say. Oakland but he's coming to Fenway Park where half of his games a highly offensive ballpark the division other than Tampa every ballpark you're playing in in division is an offensive ballpark so what do you do you you expect even much of a drop-off or same old same old with playing half your games at Fenway you know I
4: think I think that that you know I think we've made it kind of a big deal about that. I think we should look at considering like a DJ Lemayu, right. I mean, he went to, um, he was at chorus field and, you know, I think in the season before last, they put those nets up in right field where um, you know, the ball was hard for him to get out of there and he's the opposite field hitter. Um, then he went to, you know, New York and he has that short porch in right field. Um, and then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's, he's this guy that's, you know, pumping out home runs, you know? So if anything, um, uh, New York inflated um, DJ Lemayhew stats, and I think that's going to sort of be what it is for Trevor Story. Um, particularly if you look at um, you know his pull side numbers. You know if he mishits a ball, um, that's a ball that's going to you know hit the wall at Fenway in, in left field. Um, if he hits squares the ball up, you know it's it's over the fence. So I think if you look at the fact that he's a right-handed hitter and he's playing at Fenway Park, I think that bodes well for him. You know going forward, particularly if you look at like I said, his, his pull-side numbers, he's a pull-hitter. He's looking to pull the ball. Kike um, Hernandez, you know, on a, on a, um, on a smaller scale, this is a, this is, this is, he's also a pull-hitter. And when the Red Sox considered him, they're saying, no, oh, he would probably hit well at Fenway. Hunter Renfro, he's a pull-hitter. Um, when the Red Sox considered him, they said, you know, oh, well, he, he's a pull-hitter. He would probably hit well at Fenway. Both those guys, particularly Hunter Renfro, hit really, really well at Fenway last year. Um, and I think if you look at somebody like Trevor Story, who has, you know, two times, three times the talent of those guys, I think you're looking at a person that's going to be a fixture in their lineup for years to come.
0: I'm on Fangraph's roster resource right now, and I'm looking at the starting pitching for the Red Sox. And without Chris Sale, wow. Um, Bad. Look, yeah, looking at the division – uh, I, I love how my guy Rich Hill, former athletic Rich Hill, at like 80 years old, is still out there spinning that breaking ball. But how, how do you how do you see this working out with Chris Sale at least for the start of the season for this rotation?
4: You know, it seems like this Chris Sale thing is an ongoing. You know, uh, it's just an ongoing thing. I think I feel like I'm always having to write with Chris Sale missing the start of the season. So and so is going to have to pick up the slack and. It's been that. Um, and, he, and look, he said it before. He said, I'm getting paid to do nothing, you know, and, and that sucks. He said that, you know, earlier in the week or last week. So you're looking at Nate Evaldi, uh, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, Um, You know, I like Tanner a lot, and, and I think he's, he he comes in. This will be actually his real, real first full season um, in the big leagues. I think he can be a, 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 a number three or number two or number three starter in the future. But right now it's Nate Evaldi, Nick Pavetta, um, uh, uh, Tanner Houck, uh Rich Hill, and, and Daniel, uh, D- and Daniel Waka. Um, You know, that's, that's, that's not necessarily the five that you want to run out there. Um, and, and it's a shortened spring. People like Nate Aldi who, who have a routine and who, who focus on staying healthy, that's, that's going to be something that's, that's, that's uh, uh, sort of, sort of up in the air. You know, somebody like uh, uh Nick Pavetta, um oh he says you know he's used to it you know he, he's still a rhythm guy and if he doesn't have his command you know that's that's going to be a problem so clearly the Red Sox are going to have to make some moves um at some point during the season if they want to if, if they want to be if they want to contend particularly in the AL East when you look at you know teams not even to the Yankees just the Blue Jays and what they've done um you're looking at you're looking at a team that just has you know possibly a, a, a number four and I uh, say a number five starter in any other, and any other uh, rotation. If you're looking at say Nate Evaldi or excuse me, number three, I'd be generous. Number three starter in native maybe a possibly four or five in Tanner house and possibly need an a person like Pavetta who wouldn't even be in the rotation for any other team. So they're going to have to build. they're, they're going to have to patch some things up and I think they have to patch it up quick, but I think the main thing is trying to survive until the deadline or trying to survive. Um, until the first half of the season, and then making their push because Haim is has is proven that he can he can pull in some arms. So um we'll see what happens, but uh, obviously, you know them missing missing those uh, missing arms like a e rod even who filled up in him, uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be a huge blow for them.
0: Yeah, the season's gonna start here in a couple weeks. I mean, we're gonna snap our fingers and it's gonna be opening day, and the east is just gonna be it's gonna be a brawl. That's what it looks like. And when you start talking about the Red Sox, and the Yankees and the Rays and the Blue Jays. We'll keep the Orioles out of this. So those four teams right there: yeah. New New York, Boston, Toronto, and Tampa. Handicap that. How would you see it one through four right now?
4: I, I would honestly go Rays because I mean I, I think they've, they've, they've done it, to prove that
2: they're the, the the tower
4: over the East, despite the despite their. Um, you know, their, their their payroll, I think they figure out a way to win in the regular season. Now, if it translates to the postseason um, in terms of winning a World Series, that's something else that they haven't proven that they can do yet because you can't, you know, stack up all those relievers on back-to-back days and, you know, people have more time to game plan. So I think that's why they struggle a little bit in the playoffs. But if then you look at the, say, the Blue Jays, who I think are number two in that, in that order because I think they got a taste of a little bit of the playoffs and then they missed it last year. And I think they have a little bit of a bad bad taste in their mouth and they they've put together a pitching staff they put together you know they've added Matt Chapman even I'm sorry ace fans um you know they've added all these players and I think this is going to be good for them so I have them at number two right now I have the Yankees at number three um and that could change because obviously if the Red sox you know pick up with some pitching you know I think that can that can bode well for them but you know right now as it stands right now I think you know they're they're the they're the number red Yankees are number three Red sox are number four. And obviously, you have the Orioles, who we're not going to talk about at number five. But I think if you look at those four, I think the Rays and the and the Blue Jays have done an excellent job of going out and getting guys. Um, the Red Sox, though, so they got Trevor Story. Um, a lot of guys dropped off the off the uh, off the list um, in terms of in terms of guys that, that were free agents who they could have, you know, gotten. So um, I think you're looking at at a team that that's flawed from you know from its pitching staff, even down to some of its bullpen, and and trying to get Matt Barnes on the track. Who, had a, who sort of, you know, fell off a cliff in the second half of the season. So there's a lot of questions, but, you know, if anything, I think Heimblum has figured out a way uh, to patch up things um, in the rotation in the years past, and we'll see what happens, um, you know, going into this year.
0: Well, there's two pitchers in Oakland that a lot of people are talking about, and there's a lot of rumors out there, but it also comes down to, yeah, I mean – Could the Red Sox use Manai or Montas or the Yankees? But the real question, which, you know, we don't cover their systems all that much, is, you know, what do good teams who constantly try and win and they use their minor league systems to be able to keep winning, what do they have to offer someone like Oakland? I I don't know. What are you hearing?
4: Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox – They've they've done an excellent job, I think, of, of stacking up their system from, you know, Marcelo Mayer to Nick York. Um, you know, you're looking at uh, Tristan Cassis. Um, they're sort of like you know, pot in that in that area in terms of prospects. And I think uh, you know, Blaze Jordan is another one. Uh, you know, Bri- Brian Bale. Um, You know, so obviously, I think if there were if there were trades there, um, you know, if they if, if the Red Sox wanted to get Montas, they could. But Heim Bloom is is adamant about not telling their system because look at you know Dave Dombrowski, he he gave away everybody in terms of like you know their top top prospects from um, you know to, to to get Chris Sale and or and you know to to make room for a JD Martinez or a David Price or whatever, um, they 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 did a lot of that. So granted they got a championship out of it, so it worked. And Dave Dombrowski did an excellent job. But Heim is sort of cut from a Tampa cloth where he wants to sort of you know, build up the system, um, sort of that Dodgers thing where you can have just too many guys, too many options, and now you're just like, okay, I can trade Jeter Downs and Connor Wong for an Alex Verdugo for a Mookie Betts, right? I think so. I think that's sort of what they're looking to do. Um, but in terms of what they have to offer, they have a lot to offer. But I just don't know how many teams are willing to give that up. Even the Yankees, like they're not, they haven't really spent at all. And it's kind of like, what are you doing? Are we just sitting on these prospects? Or are you trying to win? Um, you know, so I think teams have, have 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 the systems. The Blue Jays obviously have the system. They got four prospects for Matt Chapman. So, um, you know, I think it's a matter of, of of what teams are willing to give up. And obviously, they haven't. If you look at the Red Sox and Yankees, they're not willing to sell off their systems right now.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the Blue Jays, and I know you ranked them pretty high, second in the East. I mean, there is so much hype around them right now. Wait, where did you rank them? Did you rank them second?
4: Yeah, I did second. I think they're second right now. D- D- I, think, I think the Blue Jays – I think the Blue Jays – now, I think if you have – if you're looking at a team like the Blue Jays, I think where they struggle is with the – where I looked at last year, they struggle because they were so young. They struggle with close games. They struggle with making the routine routine play routinely, I think. Um, but if you add somebody like a Matt Chapman in their in their infields, because if I looked at Bo Bichette at shortstop – I think Matt is going to help out both significantly um, if they put him back at, at, put him back at a shortstop because Matt plays so deep and, and, and Matt, if you remember with Marcus Simeon, Marcus Simeon just sort of played up the middle sort of, he shaded up the middle and Matt's like, I got everything, you know, that's left. I have everything that's to my right. You know, it doesn't matter. It was sort of like he was the shortstop of the, of the infield. So I think that's going to help, 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 Simplify the game for somebody like a Bobuchet and saying like, look, I just have to worry about what's in front of me and to my left. Matt Chapman has everything else. So if you look at that and you consider that, I think that'll help him significantly because I think Bo led the, led the league in, in errors in terms of shortstops last year. So I, I have them ranked second right now. That might be a little bit of a hype train, but I just think they're so loaded and they're so talented, man. And if they put it together, I mean that's 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 going to be a that's going to be a force.
0: You know, sign stealing, we know, was going on all around baseball. And teams love to point fingers. And it's coming out that there's going to be a letter that's going to be made public from baseball. Uh, to the New York Yankees about their involvement. Now, Boston can't be looking at anybody because they've been guilty. They've got caught and they've been punished, but how much do you think baseball and how ha- I would say fans, I know the ACE fans will love it. And even Red Sox fans are going to be like, you know what? Finally, it's coming up about the Yankees and it's going to be official.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's big, right? I think in terms of just saying like, we weren't the only ones that are doing it now. I think if you look at it, and they obviously took it to the nth degree, and then you have Cora in, in Boston, then and then, you know they're looking for any little thing. So, um, granted, sign stealing is sign stealing, but I think the reason why Houston went to those degrees is because it's like, hey, everybody does it, right? And it's sort of like, you know, if everybody's cheating on a test, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're getting answers from, I guess, you know, uh, 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 from, from the person in front of them there's going to be somebody in the class. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to bring the entire worksheet that our teacher gave us with the answers on it, you know, and and, and, and just be kind of bold with it because nobody's gotten caught yet. And then, and then the person gets caught. It's like, wow, how could you do such a thing? Granted science stealing is bad, but with the Yankees, I think they pointed fingers a lot, um, you know, from CeCe Sabathia to Aaron judge and, and everybody else saying like, you know, we would have won the world series if, we, if, if had we, you know, hadn't been sign stealing and hadn't there not been sign stealing in 2017? Well, look, you were doing it too. So uh, it, it comes out like that, and I think that there's been a lot of finger pointing at the Red Sox. I mean, excuse me, at, at the Houston Astros, Cora, um, you know, the Red Sox, and everything like that. But uh, it's, everybody's doing it to some degree. I think I think Houston just happened to take it a little bit over edge, um, and then it, and then it, and then it sort of you know went into that. But I think you have to look at a situation like the Yankees. People want to people want to slay the dragon and they've been slaying the dragon for a long time with Nick that won a World Series in 2009. And they're known as the payment proper organization. This is how we do it. This is like, oh, you got to shave and all this stuff. But there's shadiness to them, too. And I think that's coming out. That's going to be a sort of a sort of that 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 win for, for, for people within baseball to say, ha, you were doing it, too.
0: Hey, it's great to hear from you. Congratulations on everything with the family. Be well, and we will talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your time in Florida.
4: Always, Tony. Thanks so much.
0: Take care, buddy. Julian McWilliams, remember he covered the A's for the Athletic, now covers the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. From the Red Sox to the Yankees, what are the Yankees going to be like this year? Randy Miller covers the Yankees. For New Jersey Advanced Media, we cover the Bronx Bombers. Randy, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? I'm good.
5: Thanks for having me.
0: You know, the two longest tenured guys in our business that have been calling the shots for their ball clubs are Billy Bean and Brian Cashman. And they have been friends and they have been close for a long, long time. I mean, you can go back to the late nineties and even into the two thousands where Billy Bean was helping Brian Cashman about data and changing things. Uh, I could easily see the Yankees and the A's doing a deal for Sean Manaya, maybe even Frankie Montas, and how much would that help the Yankee rotation?
5: Well, the Yankees would like to get another starting pitcher. Uh, I asked that around the organization to people, and from what I hear, as close friends as, as Billy and Cash are, that uh, it's tough for them to work deals. They did work one a few years ago with Sonny Gray. That didn't work out great with the Yankees. But uh, I've heard that uh, that Cash has trouble doing deals with close friends, and that that uh, that might be uh, tough to get a deal done with Naya.
0: Yeah, some people are a little afraid that when you when you do a deal with Billy Bean, it uh, always comes out smelling like roses on his end, and it doesn't always look so good for you.
5: Right, just like Tampa Bay, uh, everybody says uh, nobody should do a deal with them because everything they get. Uh, turns to gold and uh, if they want to <laughs> to give you someone you should say what's wrong with the guy. <laughs> I like that with Oakland too.
0: Well I mean you think about the success of the rays you think about what Toronto's doing and Toronto is acquiring people. Toronto's got money Toronto's looking to pay and get better. Hein Bloom has finally opened up the checkbook yeah. and brought in Trevor's story uh, is, is there pressure on the Yankees before the start of the season on doing stuff? I know how Steinbrenner's talk, Cashman's talk, but how much pressure is on them to actually make some moves?
5: I asked Hal Steinbrenner that question about a week ago when he talked to us. I've asked Brian Cashman that question, and they continuously say there's no pressure on us. We're going to make our decisions. That's best for your organization. Uh, a lot of Yankee fans are – up in arms now because the metro spends so much money they've never had to deal with uh, a team in their city outspending them uh, but that said I believe that they need to get a catcher uh, and I think that uh, that's the first priority right now they have an extra infielder right now uh, right now DJ LeMay it was gonna be a guy that probably sits on opening day and uh, rotates around and he has a I think five or six more five six five more years I think on a $15 million contract. That's a lot of money for a, an extra infielder. Uh, so I think that they need to, that possibly, a deal with the Cubs for Wilson Contreras. I know that the, the Yankees like him. I know he's available. The Cubs got a, a catcher in the offseason. So uh, it, it comes down to, can they work a deal? It wouldn't shock me if a bigger deal is made with the Cubs where Gleyber Torres is sent back to the Cubs. That's where he started out. The Yankees got him in that Araldis Chapman deal in uh what was it 16 the year the cubs uh, won the world series but right now Chapman, uh torres is coming off two bad seasons he looks different this year i think he's gonna have a better year he had the 38 homers a couple years ago and i think that got in his head and it it messed him up uh defensively and he's back more comfortable second base but it wouldn't shock me if the yankees could work a deal with the cubs for contreras and maybe a bigger deal where they get a starting pitcher or a pretty good reliever in a deal Uh, sends Torres back to the Cubs.
0: I'm so glad you brought up Torres because we've kind of been thinking about it on our end. And if there's going to be some type of deal going on, because there was even rumors that Frankie Montas and Sean Maniah could be a package deal for the Yankees and I think about when you know Glaber came up next you know people wanted to put him in Cooperstown already and as you said last couple of years hasn't been the same but you've watched him every day I want you to look at it from the Oakland A's perspective how good would it be for them and if you were covering the A's would you like to see the A's acquire Torres
5: well there's a lot of upside there He's, he's a personal guy that uh, definitely would be a fan favorite. Uh, I think he's better at second base. So sure, I, if, if you're an Oakland A fan, you, you definitely want that. The question is, uh, if he goes to the A's, how long are they going to keep him? Because he's, what, that's three, three years uh, now. So are they going to get rid of him in a year or two when his arbitration number goes higher? But from a player standpoint, I think that could take pressure off him. He likes being the guy. Uh, he could possibly hit third. I don't see Torres going to the A's. You know, the Yankees like their their rotation. When you look at the Yankees' rotation right now, they're really happy with Nestor Cortez, who is kind of a a Jamie Moyer type. I was around Jamie. I was a Phillies writer for 16 years, and and I watched Jamie Moyer get guys out throwing 82, 84 miles an hour when he was 45, 46. And Cortez last year, I'd seen him around a lot. He'd been in the organization for a few years, bounced around, and he comes up last year and starts the second half of the season and he was their best starter in the second half, even better than Garrett Cole. So that's the guy that you look at and say, OK, uh, people are thinking that he'll just go right to middle relief, but they want him in a rotation. They really like Jordan Montgomery, who got a lot better last year. So there's there's two lefties there. Severino is a guy in his only two full healthy seasons as a big league starter was, I think, top five or top six. Cy Young made the All-Stars both years. I had an ERA under three one year, won 19 games another year. So they look at Severino and think that can be a really good number two with a Garrett uh, number one. Uh, they also have Jamison Tyon, who last year was his first year back from the second Tommy John, did not do well in the first half, but look at his numbers in the second half. He was uh, a ERA around three, has a really big curveball. Uh, they like they like him, so I think that they would like to get some pitching depth. Uh, Herman right now is going to start the season on the injured list. That's kind of a swingman type for them, who won 18 games a couple years ago before the suspension for the domestic violence thing. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think they're going to go all out to get a starting pitcher because other teams need starting pitchers as a two, three, four guy more than the Yankees. And I just don't see the Yankees outbidding other teams because they're not desperate for starting pitching.
0: You know, you, you start talking about the additions for the Yankees, and you know how much we love Josh Donaldson. He, he's a friend, have known him for years. Obviously the A's, Kiner Falefa, we've seen him in division. Um, if everybody stays healthy, the thing that I like about J.D. and Kiner Falefa is the kind of hardcore Kind of red ass that they bring on an everyday basis. They bring that edge every single day. That works in some clubhouses, doesn't work in every clubhouse. How do you think that works with the Yankees?
5: I'm not sure on Donaldson. I know that when he got here for the first day, the first thing he did was go into the manager's office and try to iron things out with Garrett Cole, who was hurt last year by the the criticism. Cole has, uh, a big say in this team, big part of the clubhouse. Uh, I know that the Yankees love that Donaldson is an old school gamer, that he wants to win. And that's the common denominator there between Cole and Donaldson. Is they, they, they came to terms like, look, we both want to win and we'll get past what we had in the past, uh, past problems. Uh, kind of Felipe has surprised me. I didn't know much about him. And I've had two pretty good talks with him. And, and you're right, uh, this guy's a gamer, too. Uh, he went out in the offseason, I guess during the lockout, his last five weeks, he flew from Dallas to Los Angeles and had uh, hitting, I guess he would go Friday and have three days of hitting and uh, head sessions with um, Turner, third baseman for the Dodgers. And And Justin Turner really was trying to help him put some lift in the ball, teaching him to hit the ball the other way more. And this guy's really, really focused. And he's also He he loves being a Yankee more than anyone in my seven years on the beat. This guy, uh, I I think he's going to thrive in New York. I think he's going to be a fan favorite. I know the Yankee fans are disappointed that they didn't go for Correa. They didn't go for Story. They didn't go for Seager. They didn't go for any of the top shortstops. I thought they would get a stopgap. I thought they'd get Simmons. But I think they've got a better guy here, and he's going to be a guy that when their number one prospect, Anthony Volpe, who the Yankees think, that is it can turn into another jeter and about 10 scouts that i've talked to feel the same way uh, guys i've talked to uh people that had him coaching 12 13 14 15 16 they all think that way this kid is is going to be special and uh i think kind of felipe could down the road if the yankees keep him transitioning into a into that utility position player that's uh so important nowadays more so than past years.
0: Yeah, that's no pressure. You can only be the next Derek Jeter. Don't worry about that kind of pressure. I I know, but I've been doing
5: this a long time, and this kid's makeup for someone not in the majors is number one of anyone I've been around, not even close second. Wow. Remember this name, Anthony Volpe. Last year he was a top player in the minor leagues, he was in low A and high A. He'll be in double A this year, probably end in triple A. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the big leagues by next year, and uh, this kid's going to be a superstar in baseball.
0: You know, we all know our organizations better than anybody else, and I remember C.J. Nikowski for the Rangers and also Sirius XM. We had this conversation uh, about the Rangers and the A's in the division, and so I think about you, the Yankees, and the AL East, and – You know, from afar, this division looks like a battle royale. I mean, you take the Orioles out, we know how tough the Rays are. The money and the acquisitions uh, that the Blue Jays have been doing the past couple of years, and their young crop has now grown. You think about the Boston Red Sox. How do you handicap this division before the start of the year?
5: Tough division, my pick would be the Blue Jays right now. I saw them yesterday and uh, Montgomery pitched and first four guys, line singles, fifth guy hits a ball to the wall is caught. And I just remember seeing that last year. Now they have third baseman Chapman who's replaced Semyon. Uh, I, I think they're uh, going to be really, really good. I think their starting pitching will be okay. I worry about their bullpen. I think they'll end up getting a closer or finding someone. I, I think they're the best team. I look at the A's, the uh, Rays roster every year, and I just, I don't know how they do it, but <laughs> they're always better than everyone thinks. They play the game the right way. Uh, they, they manage the analytics better than everyone else. Uh, they, they are the team that's smarter than everyone now. It used to be the A's. It's the Rays now that outsmarts everyone and wins with the least talent. It's, it's, it's amazing what, the, what the A's and the Rays do with, with the payroll. And, uh, so the Rays, I think, are going to be good again. Uh, the Yankees will be good again. <laughs> The Red Sox, I I think the Red Sox are the fourth-best team. I wonder – I worry about their pitching. Uh, Sal is hurt. I, I like story. I like their their offense. But uh, I think they would be a threat to win other divisions. But they could be squeezed out of the playoffs possibly because the AL East is just so powerful.
0: Yeah, and I got to think if uh, you're one of these teams that's going to be battling the AL East, you have to really like the fact that you have the expanded playoffs, correct?
5: Sure, because if you just get in, you never know what can happen. If you get in, you get a couple uh, hot pitching pitching performances, uh, you can go a long way. Uh, you know, ha- having the best team, look at all those years with Lamb. They won the division 14 years in a row and they win one World Series. So that shows you, if you get in, you can even knock out uh, the Braves, the Maddox, Smoltz, Lavin. Uh, so it's just get in. Nowadays, the talent, I think, is more even than, than past years you look back at the seventies and it was the Reds and Dodgers and Pirates there were just fewer teams that could really get in the playoffs and win. And now I look at it and it wouldn't shock me if you go around the AL and you say six, seven teams could win the world series this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and speaking of the Atlanta Braves, my God, they won 88 games last year and they won the world series. And so it's, we, we are now into more of a, a tournament style atmosphere in the postseason for baseball. And, uh, uh hopefully it will translate into more fans enjoying our great game before we let you go anything on the new rules that are being implemented that you like dislike how did you see them?
5: i i, I hate the uh ghost runner rule I'm, I'm so old school uh i know that the uh the robo umps are coming probably in a year or two um today's big thing was was Aaron judge that was the big story we're working on normally i would have talked to players about that but uh judge and the yankees did not settle on a uh contract there's been for you filed arbitration numbers yesterday yeah and uh he commented on it today and uh he's disappointed so that was the big thing i was working on beforehand but uh i i just hate the ghost rule the double headers i'm glad they're back to nine innings i'm just i'm so old school baseball i'm i'm 57 so i i i don't like change i i get it uh that it can be exciting but it's like the shootout in hockey i'm a native Pittsburgh or big Penguins fan and and uh, grew up in the Lemieux era. And now I see the shootout. And if I'm at a game, it's fun to watch, but I, it's just not real hockey. And some of this stuff in baseball is not real baseball. It's video game baseball. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think that the sport is a great sport that if you get two good pitching performances, it's a two-to-one game, and that it's uh, that that's worthwhile.
0: Now, anything can happen when it comes to contracts and money. Like, I've always thought it's a foregone conclusion, Yankees judge – they get something done. Do you see him long-term as a Yankee, or do you see there could be some uh, rocky waters, and maybe the Yankees may have to make a move there?
5: Uh, Judge said today a couple times again that he wants to be a Yankee for life. Uh, He loves being a Yankee. If if they don't get something done, he'll become a free agent, and at that point it will be interesting to see if, They lowball him. I was talking to Darren today and I said, this is your one shot of free agency. He went to college at Fresno state. And he's a guy that this is his one shot. He'll be 31 years old, at free agency. So I think he'll try to get seven years, maybe eight years and take until he's 38, 39 years old. And at that point, uh, I I don't think he's going to want to get a four or five year deal where the Yankees offer him five, that could portion the free agency. And if that happens, I would think the one team that, that he would uh, go to would be the giants because he grew up a Giants fan. He's a big family man. His parents are from out that way. Um, That's the team that would be the dark horse, I think, to get Judge if he
0: doesn't sign here. I think he will sign here, but I don't think it will happen until next year. Randy, great stuff. Enjoy spring training. We'll talk to you during the season. Okay, thanks for having me. And last but not least. Don't count out the Rays. If I had to bet on any team, I'm betting on the Rays. Here is Rich Hollenberg, Rays broadcaster for Bally Sports. Rich, welcome to A's Cast Live. How are we doing there in Florida? Uh, Things are beautiful in west central Florida, Chris. Great to be with you. You know, we, we always have a soft spot in our heart for the Tampa Bay Rays. As you know, whenever we talk Rays and A's, you know, the So many similarities when it comes to analytics, to how the game is played, to the issues with getting a stadium done and uh, all the crazy rumors going on about our organization, your organization long-term. So out here, out west, we're we're always paying attention to what you guys are doing out there, and we're always rooting for you. Well, that's nice to hear. Uh, I, I
3: would term that a friendly rivalry, and that's always good in sports.
0: You know, when, when we at this time of the year, everybody is trying to talk about how they're going to have a good year. Everybody's talking about your acquisitions and all this kind of stuff. And recently, Nevada came out with the uh, season totals. And, you know, the Yankees are always inflated. Now people are loving the Blue Jays. How much do the Rays just revel in the, okay, we'll always be the underdogs, but deep down, we know we're not the underdogs. We're actually the favorites.
3: Yeah, you know, Chris, I, I've been with this team long enough to know that when everybody zigs, that's when the Rays zag. And, and in the beginning, I think it was strictly because of the economics of baseball, right? Right. Lowest payroll in baseball for almost every year uh since they've been in existence. And yet I think in the last handful of years, really since Kevin Cash came on board, I, I think they use that as their calling card. That is their strength. That has become the Rays way of doing things. And now, to wit, you see all of these big market clubs trying to copy and emulate what the Rays are doing, not so they could save money just so they could get more wins and compete more consistently the way that the Rays compete. And I could tell you honestly to a man, Chris, the Rays do not care what other teams think about them or dismiss them, especially the media. They think we are going to go about our business the way we go about our business because this is the best way for us to win ball games from game one to game 162 and to get us into the tournament with a chance to win a world championship. And going into this season, you ne- you named it. The the Blue Jays are better. They signed some big names. Matt Chapman being the most recent that you're obviously familiar with. The Yankees are always going to be like that. The Boston Red Sox are always going to be like that. The Rays didn't make a lot of moves. They've got a lot of the same familiar faces from last year and even the year before, which heretofore was unheard of there was always a tremendous amount of turnover on the Rays' roster because of economics. But the last couple of years, they've kept the core together, and that's a a nod to their excellent farm system. But then they have a way of bringing in veterans with a chip on their shoulder, undrafted rookies, castoffs. I I affectionately refer to the Rays, especially their relievers, Chris, as the island of misfit toys. (laughs) No one else wanted these guys. The Rays bring them in. And all of a sudden, they cobbled together arguably the best relief staff in baseball. So they've had success doing it with money aside, and they're going to keep working that way because it's been working for them.
0: You know, when I think about buy-in, you got to have buy-in. And it's sad to say, but the last time we had a winter meetings was down in San Diego at the Manchester Hyatt, and Kevin Cash joined us on this program. And it was great to have him on. And when you talk to Cash, uh, my my producer likes to say he's best friends with him. He calls him Cashy. Uh, when we were talking to Ke- <laughs> when we were talking to Kevin, you're like you see the energy, you you just see the leadership. You understand why all these guys – there could be stuff that goes on that as a player you may not like. You might get some innings taken away. You might get sent down. You might get at-bats taken away. But Kevin Cash, he gets the buy-in. And when you're a great leader, you can get everybody around you to buy into the process. Talk about how Kevin Cash really is the perfect guy for the job. Well, not only,
3: Chris, is he local – right he's a hometown boy grew up in Tampa went to Florida State but he's old school in terms of the type of player that he was and he'll be the first to tell you quickly or seriously that he wasn't much of a player when he played in the big league but he's got a couple of world series rings and he's been in the AL East and i can tell you that he buys in to the way that the rays do things because he wants to be here and There's one word that comes to mind when you ask me that question, Chris, and the one word answer is communication from Eric Neander, the president of baseball ops, all the way down to Kevin cash. This team communicates inside the walls of their fraternity better than any professional or college program that I've been around. They are constantly communicating in difficult situations, in support situations, and obviously in winning situations, everybody knows where they stand. There is no BS. There is no dancing around difficult conversations. There is straight talk and real talk and some tough love. But what there is always is constant communication. And I think that is the number one aspect of why Kevin Cash has been so successful and why the Rays have ultimately been so successful, especially coming off back-to-back ALEs
1: championships.
0: Well, you talk about adding a big name. Uh, that big name is a guy you already got. I'm not sure about his health. Tyler Glass now, obviously, is one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Coming off Tommy John surgery. I don't know where he is with the arm, but didn't he just have something done on his ankle? Where are we with him?
3: Yeah, I just saw him uh, a few moments ago before the game started here against the Orioles in, uh, in Charlotte Sports Park, and he had a boot. And it was weird because it was the first time I've seen Tyler this spring. And I'm like, I expected to see something on your arm, but (laughs) not on your foot. It was something that's bothered him for a while, honestly. And the elite level athlete that he is, he was able to kind of play through it. But his doctors, in consultation with him, of course, said, you know what? You're still recovering from your TJ. This is the best time to do this surgery, clear it up. And then when you come back from your arm surgery, you're going to be even better and more ready to go because your ankle's going to be that much better. So I think it was a calculated type of a scenario, the timing of it. Obviously the Rays have zero expectations, nor should any fans of him coming back anytime soon. So take this time to not only keep rehabbing your elbow, but rehab your ankle. And by all accounts, it was very minor surgery anyway. So take care of that. And then you come back even more close to a hundred percent than you were before like any clue when he might be back. I, I don't think there's any clue. And I think the Rays, you know, the, the smartest voices in the room um, are smart for a reason there. There's no reason to tip our hand and tell anybody, let alone me when Tyler glass now is expected back. you could take your best guess. You could go by the day that he had that elbow cut and say, well, usually it's about 16 months after that. Uh, If you do the math, then, you know, that math would make sense to me. But the Rays don't operate the way that everybody does, and they're certainly not going to rush him back. And then, obviously, you know, the question arises about his status with the team and his contract status, and a lot of people were saying, well, if he's having Tommy John surgery, this might be the last time we've seen Tyler Glass now pitch as a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. And that still could be the case, but I'm not so sure just yet because the Rays have had a tendency in a history to trade for guys who are in that situation, i.e. Nate Evaldi, who they brought back a couple of years ago and then traded him to the Red Sox. They have more of a history of trading for those guys than trading away those guys who are coming off an injury like that. So I think the jury's still out. I don't I don't really have uh, a hard and fast answer for you on that.
0: Well, when Wander Franco signed that big contract, I'm not sure he was able to buy people drinks yet. I don't even know if he was 21. I think he's just 21 now. I mean, a superstar product, uh, lo- locked up long-term with the Rays. That's great to see. Just how good can this guy be?
3: I think we'll be talking about Wander Franco competing for an American league MVP as early as next year. Um, I look at Vladdy Guerrero as the closest comparison that I could make to the talent level that Wander Franco has. And by that, I mean, both of those guys graded out as an 80 grade hit tool, which almost never happens. Both of those guys had that. Here's the one thing that Wander has that I think, after a couple of years in the bigs, that Vladdy had to learn and didn't have in his DNA necessarily, it's the work ethic. And I think the Rays invested in Wander more for his work ethic, or at least as much for his work ethic as they did his other natural talents, his supernatural baseball abilities, which in some respects are just God-given, Chris. You know, you look at him and he just exudes professional athletes even at this tender young age. Uh, But I think the fact that regardless of his hype of the attention that he's been paid ever since he was 13 years old, he still comes to the ballpark every day playing like he's playing for his job. And that's exactly the kind of player that the Rays love. And that's why they invested in him in a way that they have never invested in anybody since Evan Longoria and even more than Evan Longoria about 10 plus years ago. So um, I think the ceiling has yet to be even seen for what Wander Franco could be. But he stays healthy and Vlady Jr. stays healthy with the Toronto Blue Jays. I think those are going to be the two top guys in the conversation for
0: American League MVP for maybe the next five years. And the bottom line is when you're going through all this, you still got to have a good time. Is anybody better than that in that clubhouse than Brett Phillips?
3: Uh, hey, listen, his company says it all, right, Chris? Baseball is fun. And I will say this he is not a mascot. Like the Rays, you know how the Rays do baseball business. They could be as cold hearted and cutthroat as anybody because at the end of the day, the most important thing is your win and loss record. And they believe in Brett Phillips. He is an elite level defender, he has elite level speed. And was the bat a little bit lacking? Yes. Is the sh- Are the strikeouts alarming? Yes. But I can tell you this from CNN, Brett Phillips came into camp this year. in the best shape of his life. And he is part of a really deep outfield rotation that the Rays clearly feel he is on whatever basis, whether it's limited, part-time, full-time, whatever you want to describe it as, he is going to contribute to this team in much the same way that he did last year.
0: Well, we'll end on this, and I know people ask me this all the time, and it just gets old, and you're like, wake me up when there's shovels in the ground, and that's with our ballpark, because <laughs> we're like you. I mean, there were talks about Montreal. There's St. Petersburg. There's Tampa. Hell, there's talk about us in Las Vegas, back here in Oakland. just Is there anything new, or is it just same old, same old? Well, I, for one,
3: am, am thankful When it's same old, same old, there's nothing new. Um, I think, again, the brain trust of the Rays uh, are the ones that I always defer to. And whenever fans ask me questions about the baseball decisions or the operations decisions, I always defer. I say they're much smarter than I am. Whatever ideas or thoughts or opinions I have, they pale in comparison to the people they have in their boardrooms and their front offices. They have earned the respect and I think the right to go back to whatever drawing board they're on and come up with the best way to keep baseball in Tampa Bay. Now, did I agree with splitting a season with Montreal? No, because selfishly I live 10 minutes from the stadium, Chris, I don't want them going (laughs) anywhere. But if it's a question of move the team to Tampa versus St. Pete and they stay in Tampa Bay for the next multiple generations then I'm all for it. If you put a gun to my head, I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. But I have no news. And as far as I'm concerned, no news is good news at
0: this point. I hear you. Thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the rest of spring training. And let's talk soon. You got it, Chris. Thank you. Good stuff. Talking about the Rays. Rich. Hollenberg, part of the Rays broadcast. Well, there is our American League East preview. We want to thank Ben McDonald, Shai Davidi, Julie McWilliams, Randy Miller, and Rich Hollenberg. Now back to A's cast, powered by iHeartRadio.
4: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.